Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. I'm Robert Evans, and this is Once Again Behind the Bastards, the show where we tell you everything you don't know about the very worst people in all of history. Uh, now, this is a show where I read a tale about someone or someone's terrible uh, in history to a guest who is coming in cold, and this week my guest is Max Silvestri. He is a comedian. Uh, he has a Netflix special as part of the comedy lineup out right now. Yeah, Max, how, going? how you doing? Nice to be here. Thanks for bringing me in from the cold. You know, like yeah. a spy. Oh, right, I've right. Like that spy movie that came handlers. out before I was alive. Yes. 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 It was a book, <laughs> too. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. But that's me, and I'm happy to be here. Well, it's Very funny smart. that you talk about spies, because we're not talking about spies or anything related <laughs> to spies today, but we are talking about something related to the Soviet Union, oh. which is where spies were invented. If, oh. if my James Bond history lessons That sounds right. Are, yeah, are they, they're, yeah. you know, deceitful mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not comfortable saying that. It was just a deceitful that. time. Yeah, yeah everybody, <laughs> well, everyone was deceitful in the Cold War. That's what made it fun. Yes. So we're talking pre-Cold War and then post-Cold War history Ooh. here. Uh, I'll just get into it. The rough title for this episode is The Scientist Who Killed Everyone. So oh. that should give you, yeah. You know, <laughs> we, all have, we all have political views in 2018. This is a polarized time, right? Yeah, I, think I believe my... that scientists shouldn't kill people. That's one you of do. my main views. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Well, no, this is not going to be a fun episode for you. Yeah, so everybody's got their own political views. I think my regular listeners of this show will pick up on some of my political views from time to time. They're far from hidden, but I try not to make my my personal politics the center of any given episode. Uh, I think it's important to criticize and understand terrible people on all sides of the uh, of the political spectrum. 
Um, and today's story is, I think, a good explanation of why I think that's so important, because this is a tale about where unreasoning devotion to an ideology can lead. It's about what happens when ideas matter more than human lives. Today we're going to talk about a man who set out to feed the world and wound up starving it. But before we get into that, I'd like to provide some backstory on genetic science in early 20th century Russia. Don't worry, it's not going to be boring. It's actually going to start with a story about monkey semen. So, oh, great. Yeah, this is the fun kind of genetic science. Yeah. So it may surprise you to learn that for all the many things Tsarist Russia sucked at, science was actually not one of them. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, most Russians still lived more or less like medieval serfs. Actual serfdom wasn't abolished until 1861, and things were still pretty primitive after that. Russia's class structure uh, was stiflingly strict, and science was one of the very few means of social mobility. If you were good enough at science, you could become a member of the aristocracy. So one of these Tsarist-era scientists was a guy named Ilya Ivanov. And starting in 1910, Ilya became a tireless advocate of trying to crossbreed human beings and apes. Oh, to make like a a Dr. Moreau type. He didn't really what was know, his hope? No what one was knew. The, he didn't know what was going to happen. What are the best parts of monkeys he was trying to put into humans? It, it was even more primitive than that. He just thought that it might work. Like he, he was <laughs> sure. really just thought, like people were just starting to understand genetics at this point. So he was like, I bet humans and monkeys can fuck. And right. I bet they can give birth to hybrids. So yeah. let's see what that's like. The reason like. it hasn't happened yet is because a monkey and a human haven't fallen in love exactly. and fully consummated. Exactly. Or the right monkey and human. The right not monkey and human have not fallen in love. So yeah, he's looking at like, you know, you've got, I forget what you breed together to make mules. Is it like a, a donkeys donkey and, and a horse? And a, yeah, yeah, a horse yeah. And, a, and a, yeah. And you get this animal that is sterile, but it's useful. Like we, we do yeah. stuff with mules. So he was thinking like, okay, well maybe if you breed human beings and monkeys right. together, something useful will come out of it. I heard that like LA, California, used to get rid of like fly population problems by basically mm. breeding more of the flies, radiating them so that they were sterile, and then releasing more out so that for like six months there were more flies, but they wouldn't make babies and would all die and it would like kill out the population. They're trying something similar with like a disease that they spread through mosquitoes in some South American country to like try to wipe out all the mosquitoes. Wow. So like, yeah, that's been tried a couple of times. And an easy way to go wrong. I mean, just, yeah. Yeah, it seems like, it, but it, it, th this was a little bit different. This was, because um, you're talking, you know, the early 1900s, you're talking a really optimistic era of science yeah, of because course. people have learned enough to know that like, Things are possible that haven't been done yet, but right. they haven't learned enough to know what isn't really possible. And I'm sure the rate at that time was like a lot of things were being discovered and yeah. figured out randomly, constantly, now that they had like a bit yeah. of a method. and Because they, they, they're just now starting to really understand genetics and stuff. And so Ilya, at first in 1910, he doesn't really get many people on board with his research, but he, he continues to like be an advocate for making human beings and monkeys breed. Uh, well, he does other stuff. And in 1924, seven years after the revolution that brings the Bolsheviks into power, Ilya is working as a sperm disinfector. I don't know what that job is. I couldn't find any detail, but he's disinfecting right. sperm. That dirty sperm out there. Yeah, it's kind of a dead-end scientific job. But the Institut Pasteur in France offers to support his attempt to hybridize man-apes. Um, so according to Russian scientific historian Kirill Rossianov, they offered Ivanov free access to animals at the Institute's recently organized chimpanzee facility in the village of Kindia, French Guinea, but could not pay for other operational and travel expenses of the project. So fortunately for Ilya, he found someone who did have money to pay for the operational costs of his project, the Soviet Financial Commission. They offered him $10,000 to crossbreed human beings and apes. Uh, he got approval for his project. Per man ape? Or just, just that total. Was total, okay. Which is, that's a good amount of money then. Oh, it yeah. was still oh kind God, of a shoestring yeah. budget, but right. it was enough to right. do some research. And he gets official approval from the Soviet Academy of Sciences. Ivan Pavlov, the, the dog guy. Yeah. Everybody knows about Ivan Pavlov. He was one of the scientists who 
signed off on this monkey man come project wow. thing. So it's like, this could really work. Every right? time I hear a bell ring, I find monkeys attractive. You know, yeah. Like it's wired into me. Probably something we should talk about with your therapist. Um, <laughs> it's important to point out that this was not seen, yeah, as a ludicrous project at the time. Uh, a number of luminaries in the scientific field had suggested variations on this research theme already. Ilya was just proposing to test several other scientists' hypotheses. So he's not the original let's mix man and monkey together right. person. It was he kind just... of like a race to the moon, but who's like, we're, we're yeah. all, yeah. we need to do it because it's out there. Yeah, you know? we choose to put human sperm inside of a chimpanzee. <laughs> we'll put a man in a monkey by 1963. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I'm going to quote from a Scientific American article here that kind of summarizes the early research into whether or not human beings and apes can wow. get it down. One such hypothesis was that of the German scientist Hans Freudenthal, whose analysis of blood cells in 1900 between chimpanzees, gorillas, orangutans, and humans showed that they were serologically far more similar than had been previously expected. As a result, Freudenthal proposed that anthropoid reproductive cells could be similar enough to result in a hybrid between humans and other apes. In the following two decades, other researchers, such as the Dutch zoologist Hermann Marie Bernoulli Mons and the German sexologist Hermann Reudler, sought to test this prediction by inseminating chimpanzee females with human sperm. However, their attempts never got beyond the planning stage, and in the case of Mons, his research plans resulted in him being fired from his teaching position. Wow. So... Other people have this idea, and yeah. it's pretty controversial, but a Soviet scientist is going to be the guy who gets to finally test this out. Because right. over in the West, people have this idea, but they're like, no, that's fucked up. Like, is it that like there's a sort of um, more like humanistic morality in the West that's like, well, there's certain ethical we don't considerations. Cross these lines. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and that Russia was just like anything for. We're not bound by tradition anymore. We've overthrown because the, of the old Bolshevik over. Resistance. Yeah. We, we can try anything. Right. Science. So th that it's important to get the idea of the time. So Ilya Ivanov heads off to French Guinea in West Africa and starts his research. The other researchers there don't like him. And Ilya claims this is because the station was a disgusting mess and they were getting their monkeys killed before he could inseminate them. The station had brought in roughly 700 chimpanzees from hunters in the year before he arrived, but over half of them had died, wow. so Ilya may have had a point there. Uh, but he got to work anyway, and he tried to inseminate three juvenile chimpanzees. Tragically, that did not work. Since his funds were limited, this failure convinced Ilya that he needed to try a different tactic. Oh, man. Can this isn't guess? like a superhero story, like roll up your sleeves, I've got to test out the antidote on myself sort uh, of thing, is it? You know, it would actually be better if that had been what he tried. So his original plan was to inseminate three female chimpanzees, and since that didn't work, his next plan is to implant chimpanzee semen into African women without telling them what he was doing. Oh, yeah, that is worse yeah. than um, yeah, that's, the cartoon yeah. villain one that I was suggesting. Of. Yeah. Now, the really good news, this is the only instance in this podcast where colonial Africa is not as terrible as it could have been. Because the governor of French Guinea finds out about Ilya's rape women with chimpanzee sperm plan yeah. and shuts it down and is like, no, you can't do yeah. that. This is a crime against humanity. Yeah. So Ilya gets sent home to Russia after one month in Africa. And the Soviet Academy of Scientists finds out that he had essentially tried to do something terrible and blackballs him. Uh, so he, he gets pretty much shut down. Was um, this kind of like in England, the royal societies of XYZ, where you kind of couldn't operate if you were like not part of... You know. Yeah, it's less formal than that, and okay. we'll get to why in a little bit. It had been previous when the czar was in charge. Things okay, were getting yeah. more radical. But Ilya in you know, 1924-25 is too radical for the Soviet Academy of Sciences because right. uh, he's, again, essentially trying to assault people with chimpanzee oh, sperm. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's, in his mind, it's punk rock. It's you know, yeah, revolutionary. It's, we just need to try it. Yeah. yeah. And it, this is really the end of, of Ilya's tale for today. But I think telling it sets up the intellectual atmosphere right. of Soviet Russia in the 1920s. Open your eyes, sheeple. Also, <laughs> I want to make sheeple. That's the other thing I want to do. It's sheep and people. 
Ah, man, that would have been less horrifying, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know, for whatever reason, if you're, like, sneaking sheep sperm into human beings, that's less awful than monkey sperm. Because there's a cuddly aspect, there's some sort of, yeah. 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 I also, uh, this is very dumb, and if you were to ask me, do you believe that a monkey can bear a human child or vice versa, I would be like, no. Otherwise, we'd hear about it all the time. But I don't know why. Like, why, if you can make a mule... I don't know. I we're, mean, we're just too different. We are like, just... Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't explain it scientifically, but, I mean, he did try. I saw like, the whole he... Planet of the Apes trilogy. I understand that, like, we're... It would be cool like if we could. <laughs> sure. If we yeah, could, yeah. I would support it. Um, <laughs> although I would want everyone involved to uh, to consent to the, <laughs> yes. to, to the experiment. <laughs> but it would be cool. Yes, and you've long asked the question on this podcast, can a monkey give consent mm-hmm. to what I have planned. I for. ask that question regularly, often on the street corner, just <laughs> right. to people passing by. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to scream it at police officers. <laughs> That's what the Scopes Monkey trial was yeah. about, right? Can a monkey give full consent? <laughs> as far as I've read, which is <laughs> yeah. the title. Scopes I remember the monkey scene trial. from the movie where an actor yelled. Now I'm imagining Inherit the Wind, but with like a guy banging a chimpanzee, <laughs> yes, like yeah. right on. <laughs> it's going to work! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only. Anyway, this was all to set up sort of the, the state of science in the Soviet Union in the 1920s. Anything was seen as possible. Human beings and living beings were seen as very malleable. And in spite of how crazy Ilya's plan to crossbreed humans and chimpanzees sounded, a lot of really good science was being done in the Soviet Union, in the early part of the Soviet Union. And in fact, for a while, the Soviet state was the world center of genetic science. I'm asking this because I'm reading uh, the right stuff right now and the space (coughs) race and the idea of it being like nationalistic. Was there any element of like... They had this attitude in competition with the rest of the world or the West, or is it more just its own, like the Soviets' own? At this of... point, this, the Cold War hasn't started, so right. it, they're less competitive, although they're, there is okay. still a factor of that, but it is not. I mean, it bumps up to the nth degree, yeah. you know, in the late 40s. So in this era, the 1920s and, and early 30s, the most brilliant scientist in the Soviet Union is a guy named Nikolai Vavilov. Now, Vavilov was born in Moscow in 1887. He came from a bougie middle-class family. In 1906, he started at the Petrovskaya Agriculture Academy, which had been founded to improve Russian agricultural science after a terrible famine in 1892. Vavilov had been five years old during that famine, and its horrors were imprinted into his brain. He described his life goal as, quote, to work for the benefit of the poor, the enslaved class of my country, to raise their level of knowledge. He wanted to discover better farming methods so that no Russian peasant would ever starve again. And he was apparently a pretty great guy. Uh, Vavilov just wanted to save lives, so when he graduated from the academy, he traveled around Europe working with great geneticists all around you know, Western Europe. And then he returned to Russia and got sent out to Persia, where some of the Tsar's soldiers had gotten sick from bad bread. During his downtime, Vavilov hiked through the really deadly mountains of modern-day Iran, collecting the seeds of plants that thrived in the extreme cult. His hope was that he could plant these seeds in Russia and grow more food for his people. When he got back from Persia in 1916, World War I was kind of a, a thing at that point and not going well. <laughs> uh, the Bolshevik uprising happened not long after that, and suddenly Russia was the USSR. At the beginning, this seemed fine for Vavilov's career. Uh, Lenin and Trotsky were all about science, and in the years before Stalin took over, Vavilov thrived. He took up a professorship and continued traveling the world in search of plants and farming wisdom that could help the USSR grow more food. According to Gary Nabum, an ethnobiologist who wrote a book about Vavilov, he traveled to 64 countries on five continents collecting seeds. He learned 15 languages. He was one of the first scientists to really listen to farmers, traditional farmers, peasant farmers around the world, and why they felt seed diversity was important in their fields. All of our notions about biological diversity and needing diversity of food on our plates to keep us healthy sprung from his work. He was the world's greatest plant explorer. He collected more seeds, tubers, and fruits from around the world than any other person in human history. Wow. Sounds great, right? Yeah. 
You want to hear how he gets fucked over? Oh, does he, <laughs> does he try to breed wheat with a monkey? No, uh, no, no. He's betrayed and dies starving. Um, uh, yeah, oh. that's this tale. Yeah, it's a dark oh. one. Yeah, no, as soon as you hear about someone awesome on this podcast, yeah. it's because I'm going to tell you how they get fucked over. <laughs> by the awesome the only increased. Of, yeah. yeah no, he's a great guy. Yeah, he never yeah. did anything wrong that I read about. So yeah, uh, by 1930, Vavilov had assembled a collection of more than 250,000 different seeds, the largest seed bank in human history. Uh, he was made director of the Institute of Genetics, and he immediately set to work building a network of research institutes and experimental stations all across the USSR. Vavilov's network eventually included more than 20,000 genetic scientists. One of those scientists was a man named Trofim Lyshenko. You ever heard of Trofim Lyshenko? I have not heard of Trofim Lyshenko. Okay. It's, well, I like the name. Yeah, it's a solid name. Yeah, Trofim. Yeah, it's it's very Soviet-sounding name. Yes. Trofim Lyshenko, yeah. yes. Uh, now, Trofim was born in 1896 in a region of what is today Ukraine. Uh, Trofim was a peasant. He didn't learn to read until he was 13. He was so low on the cultural totem pole that there probably would have been no chance of him having any career beyond peasant in Tsarist Russia. But the Bolshevik Revolution gave him an inroad to the scientific community. He was able to gain admittance to several agricultural science institutes and begin carrying out experiments into growing vegetables in different climates. Was the state paying for people's education? Was it yeah. like a, okay. Yeah, yeah. So Russia has, uh, and this is a World War II spoiler, pretty brutal winters. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you if you were aware of that. I, I, I heard that their coats knowledge. were not good enough. That's what I remember from <laughs> that World War II. That was the yeah. Germans. The Russians had great coats <laughs> yes. in that war. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wars are won and lost in the quality of the coats. And boots. And boots, yeah. Yeah, I have heard that. Dry socks. Mm -hmm. So uh, famines had been a regular part of life for centuries, and the Soviet government was trying to find out new ways to make that not the case. So in 1925, newly minted scientist Trofim Lyshenko wound up in Azerbaijan trying to breed cold-resistant peas. Now, Lyshenko believed his special winter peas would turn the Caucasus Mountains green in the winter and feed the Soviet people through the coldest months of the year. He also claimed that he had created a new kind of winter wheat using a process called vernalization. Now, vernalis is the Latin word for spring, which basically what he was trying to do is wheat seeds are different in spring and winter because the cold damages the seeds mm -hmm. as they're growing. So the seeds that you tend to grow in the winter have reduced yields okay. in the summer seeds. So Lyshenko was basically claiming that by soaking seeds in cold water, he could get them ready for cold weather, and then they would grow like spring wheat in the winter. Um, he could like prepare them yeah, for exactly. They're used to the cold. Yeah, get them used damaged. to the cold while they're seeds, and then it'll be fine. Then okay. they'll grow really, really well. And the, which again, nineteen twenties science, something to try. Yeah, you, you know? gotta try and find you gotta out if it doesn't try work once. Uh, and he got lucky that year. It just so happened that 1925 was an unusually warm winter. His seeds did very well. Now, there was zero evidence this had anything to do with the vernalization because Trofim Lyshenko didn't believe in using control groups. Right. <laughs> yeah. Why would you do that? Yeah, the most fun scientists shoot from the hip. <laughs> yeah, Come on. Yeah. That's... This is a whole episode about scientists <laughs> who shoot from the hip. Um, so Trofim lied and falsified his data to make it look like his methods were the cause of the uh, the better harvest that year. And then he kicked off a PR blitz to make sure everyone in the USSR heard about his work. In 1927, he convinced a reporter from Pravda to cover him. The resulting article, The Green Fields of Winter, started out kind of negative, describing Lyshenko this way. Quote, Lyshenko gives one the feeling of a toothache. God give him help. He has a dejected mien. Stingy of words and insignificant of face is he. All one remembers is his sullen look creeping across the earth, as if, at very least, he were ready to do someone in. <laughs> Which is it's pretty brutal opening That's very paragraph. brutal. Oh, my God. Here's the picture of him from Pravda. Wow. I feel like that like reads like one of those celebrity profiles now where they focus too much on like how many French fries they ate mm -hmm. at the beginning. It's just like, oh, this doesn't feel like what this should be about. Mm -hmm. You should be nicer. Yeah. 
Oh, well, well, it did get like, nicer. This is like Theranos and uh, Elizabeth Holmes, I feel like, of an earlier time. This is exactly like that, actually. So the article starts off talking about who he's kind of a dour, gross-looking guy. But as it goes on, it gets more praiseful because the Pravda guy bought into what he was yeah. saying about his seeds. So it famously dubbed Lushenko the barefoot professor, uh, which was a compliment in Soviet <laughs> era Russia and it noted I that love his... the barefoot contessa I exactly garden, exactly so, yeah, yeah. and you would trust him to reform your nation's agricultural processes Absolutely. or her I yeah. don't know anything about her name's Ina Garten she was like the head of nuclear policy and now she uh is a food network personality Wait, really yeah 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 wait she the like head of worked... nuclear policy she like worked under Reagan as like one of the top policy writers and then like her husband who I believe is a dean of a school at Yale like she moved up to New York after that part of her career, and she like opened a grocery store called oh. Barefoot Contessa on Long Island in the Hamptons, and it became a thing, and then cookbooks, and then now she's, you know. Okay, well, I guess maybe let her set agricultural policy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, she, yeah. Seemed, she seems great. Uh, Lushenko w- was not. Uh, so, But the article, yeah, called him the Barefoot Professor and, and noted that his experimental fields were often filled with agronomic luminaries eager to shake his hand and witness the miracles of his creation. So in that interview, Lyshenko claimed to have invented vernalization, which was a lie. The process was about 40 years older than he was. And vernalization does actually work to make plants flower earlier. So you can, it, it is a useful tactic. You can change basically how quickly a plant flowers. But it's less about, it's more about timing than yield. Yeah, it doesn't make it better winter wheat. It just changes when it flowers and stuff. So Lyshenko's early work on this, though, had resulted in some promising findings. So Vavilov had, had funded him at first, had been like, okay, maybe this guy's onto something. Um, over the last, next couple of years, it became increasingly obvious to Vavilov that Lushenko was wrong and faking his data. Unfortunately, in the Soviet Union during this period, scientific accuracy was not the most important question. Ideology was the most important concern. And Lushenko's theories just happened to gel with communist political theory. To understand why, we have to talk about the concept of the new Soviet man. So I'm going to quote from an UNT publication called Recreating Mankind that talks about what we mean when we talk about the new Soviet man, which was like a big buzzword at the time. Lenin, taking into account the benefits of a unified national order outlined by Marx and Engels, saw the immediate allure of creating an objective utopian vision on which he could base his politics. And he also recognized the foundation of this new ideal community could, quote, only be maintained if the very nature of man can be changed to conform to the requirements of this new order. After the revolution, through this purely idealistic vision that was taken from Marx and Engels, Lenin and his party carried out their utopian reforms in the hopes of recreating the perfect citizens. Some academics maintain that this idea of the new Soviet man bordered on eugenics, a lot like what the Nazis were talking about. And there is definitely more than a hint of Nietzsche in this quote from Leon Trotsky. Man will make it his purpose to master his own feelings, to raise his instincts to the heights of consciousness, to create a higher biological type, or, if you please, a superman. So it wasn't about making a new Soviet man that, like, did one of a few tasks. They had, like, a a singular kind of vision of what the proper Soviet... They had a vision that the proper culture could create better people. Right. By creating a better society, you could change the character of the people inside the society. Oh, so society first. It's not about we're going to change the human beings so that we have a better society. No, we're going to change this and it's going to improve the people in our society and that's going to like... Yeah, so and that's why Lushenko's ideas were so popular because he was basically saying that plants could be improved permanently by altering their physical surroundings and circumstances, which was essentially the same thing the USSR was trying to do with tens of millions of former peasant farmers. So we're going to get into what exactly happened after this and how Lyshenko's ideas spread for the USSR and and what the consequences of that were. But first, if you really want to be a Superman, the only way I know is by listening to these products and services that support our show. 
The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. 
This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. We just finished talking about the new Soviet man and how uh, Trofim Lyshenko's ideas about changing seeds by dipping them in cold water, basically, really gelled well with what communist theory at the time said about human beings. And so... That if we dip them in cold water for a little bit... Yes, exactly. They'll have yeah. better winter. Yeah, a lot of cold baths in the, uh, <laughs> in the early Bolshevik era. So... Now, one of the first major sets of reforms once Stalin came to power was a policy of collectivization in rural Russia. The government called it consolidation of land and labor, and what that meant was that tens of millions of farmers had their land taken from them and smooshed together into gigantic collective farms. Uh, a lot of people did not like this because it was land they'd been farming for generations, and some people resisted. So an estimated 10 million peasant farmers and their families were exiled or imprisoned from 1929 to 1933 for fighting against the collectivization policy. Now, Stalin had expected this mass and sudden collectivization to increase food yields, so he'd levied increased grain taxes on all farmers. These taxes came off the top, which meant a lot of farmers wound up with no food to eat. This, combined with the disruption of collectivization, led to a famine that started in 1930. Now, a major factor in all of this was Stalin's obsession with destroying the rich landowning peasants or kulaks and the willful starvation genocide of the Ukrainians. There's a lot of factors in this this famine because yeah. a lot of decisions are being made at this point in time. But like one of the key points is that Stalin just changed the way everyone in Russia had farmed for the last couple of thousand years. Like the actual agriculture of like yeah. how they were doing it day to day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's something similar. We just had an episode on what the East India Tea Company did yes. in India where it was very basically very similar where they just forced everyone in these giant collective farms thinking that would improve yields. And what it actually did was destroy these networks of like local insurance policies and stuff between different villages. Right. So there was a lot of that going on. It was kind of an all-in type thing in larger yeah. pieces of land that yeah. when it didn't work. Yeah. And it was not just that uh, he was forcing everyone onto these farms. He was also changing the way that they farmed. Now, the first part of the famine seems to have been intentional because he wanted to get rid of all these rich kulaks and he wanted to get rid of Ukrainians. And in fact, one of Stalin's lieutenants in Ukraine noted that the forced starvation had shown the peasants, quote, who is the master here? It cost millions of lives, but the collective farm system is here to stay. So it's a little bit about breaking them. Yeah, a little. It was like it, Early on, it was about breaking them. But the famine continues after the point where any kind of resistance is really broken to the fact that it starts to become a problem for the Soviet state because this has gone further than they had intended. So there was some amount of people they planned to starve to death. But um, it just turns out you can't control that thing as much yeah. as you might hope. That's why I'm always saying you shouldn't plan to starve anyone to death. Really? Because it just kind of, it, it, it always spins out of control. You know, you set a number and the next thing you know, you go over budget, you go over budget. Let's not throw starving the baby out with the <laughs> yeah, bathwater. Exactly. Like, right. that feels unreasonable. A lot of good people that mm -hmm. deserve to be starved. There's good yeah. people starving people on, <laughs> on all sides. sides. Yeah. There's <laughs> good people hungry yeah. on both sides. Yeah, good hungry people on both sides. So, yeah, the, the devastation grows beyond what Stalin had planned for. And as the worst famine in Russian history starts to really bite, Stalin calls on both Vavilov and Lyshenko to offer solutions. Vavilov, using actual science, says that he can breed wheat and other crops that will do better in the Russian climate. It will take around 12 years. Uh, Lyshenko, using lies, promises to do it in three. Can you guess who right. Stalin goes with? Lyshenko. Yeah. Now, was the famine just because the new farming system didn't work, uh, or was he actually changing 
it's partly that you're just fucking with sort of the way things have been done forever right. by forcing people on these collective farms. But there's also there there was enough food that they could have stopped mass numbers of people from dying, but they refused to hand it over. Like they were taking food away from people who were growing it in like Ukraine because they wanted to starve a lot of those people. Okay. And they were so it was a mix of things. The um, famine was because they literally didn't have access to. That was a a lot of the famine. Like there still would have been some problem as a result of this. And there had been famine, you know, a few years earlier as a result of the Civil War, too. But I'm half Ukrainian and I I knew my ancestor had come to this country because he killed someone in a bar fight. But it also seems like there were other bad things going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Holodomor is what the Ukrainians call. And it was probably between three and five million Ukrainians (sighs) starved to death. And most of those deaths were intentional. Um, But again, it, it, it quickly goes beyond that. So. Stalin backs Lushenko. There's some debate as to why he liked Lushenko so much. Some of the sources say that Stalin just liked ideologically what Lushenko was saying and didn't ever really talk to the guy very much. And there's other sources that say Lushenko and Stalin worked closely together and Lushenko basically charmed him. So I'm going to read a quote from the book Stalinist Genetics that takes the attitude that Lushenko was buddy-buddy with Stalin and convinced him to sort of back his science by being a charming motherfucker. So, although a mediocrity in scientific questions, Lushenko was highly talented in the art of leading an ideological fight and of surviving in the midst of Stalinist terror, unerringly divining the boss's wishes and anxieties. Lushenko came to the fore thanks to his considerable natural talents. He fought for position atop the pyramid of power and won it not by chance or by a whim of Stalin's, but by his skill in waging the kind of battle that was necessary. He outfoxed even Stalin and was able to pull the wool over his eyes even when other party leaders already had seen through Lushenko. Thanks to his courtier's intuition and his shrewdness, thanks to his ability to divine Stalin's secret designs, he always struck the right chord with the great helmsman, never arousing his irritation. They called Stalin the great great helmsman. helmsman. (laughs) Yeah. Which at this point, he's like ramming rocks just to see what happens when the boat hits them. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And it seems to be working. What's Vavilov feel at this point about Lushenko? I mean, he knows the science isn't there. Vavilov does not like Lushenko. But it's also, he has to be very careful about how he goes about opposing him because Lushenko is ideologically correct. Yeah. And it's also really worth noting that Vavilov is is bougie. He comes from an upper middle class background, and that is toxic in the Soviet Union at right. this period. Lushenko is a peasant, so that counts for a lot as well. And most of the actual talented scientists in the USSR are people who had grown up wealthier because they were able to afford to go to college and stuff and to like study science as young men rather than having to support their families. So these are the best scientists in the USSR at this point, but they're also bougie, which means right. they're not trusted by the Soviet leaders. There's not a lot of hard scrabble scientists like Lushenko. That yeah, sort of, you know. Yeah, and Lushenko's not really out. a scientist. Yeah. He just calls himself <laughs> a, a scientist. Artist. Yeah, he's just a bullshit artist. But he's got the right background, and so that puts him above these guys who actually know what they're doing and have decades of experience doing real science. There's definitely no echoes of that. Uh, never later in history. No, yeah. people have never supported someone who doesn't know anything because they wanted to stop supporting the people who were experts. Yes, and it, like, that, that's not something that's ever. <laughs> thank happened God before. it died with that. Only yeah. happened in Russia this one, <laughs> one time. time. Thank God. Thank God. Uh, so yeah, in in that first profile article in 1927, Pravda had praised Lushenko for working for the people rather than studying quote the hairy legs of flies. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a reference to fruit flies, which were then and are today the number one workhorse critter for genetic research because they breed so quickly. You can test a lot of different genetic stuff. I'm not a geneticist, but they're they're very important. You can't yeah. have a lot of really crucial genetic research without using fruit flies because they're just very easy to study this kind of stuff with. Um, Or at least I should say they're the number one workhorse of Mendelian genetics. Have you heard of Gregor Mendel? 
I feel like I've heard the name, but I don't know what that means. Yeah, he's one of those guys you would have come across in high school. He was he was an Austrian monk and a scientist who bred a bunch of pea plants and figured out the laws of heredity. He kind okay. of invented modern genetic science. Like he's, okay. he's the idea the of this found... is passed down to that, which is passed yeah. down to that. Like what Newton is to physics, he is to genetics. Like he's he's that level of like foundational mind. And he came up with the idea of recessive and dominant traits. He figured out genes were a thing, although he used the term factors, not genes. But he came up with like he was the first guy to understand that sort of stuff, right? So he's he's a big dude, but Trofim Lyshenko was pretty sure Mendel was full of shit because Trofim Lyshenko did not believe in genes or heredity. And instead, he thought that plants could be educated to grow in different climates because plants had free will. They could choose to mature in certain ways to meet their environment if they were properly educated. This is why you could educate a seed to survive the winter by freezing it before planting it. <laughs> is this like playing music for your house plants? Yeah. That grows better a little? Yeah, but crazier. <laughs> right. I think there might be some, I don't know, I know that the science on that isn't as settled as people People who play Beethoven for their plants want to pretend, but right. like that's less crazy than freezing a seed because it will choose to grow better in the cold. Yeah, and I certainly wouldn't like plan to feed my population of yeah. people by playing Beethoven for all the plants. I'd be like, well, it yes. might help, but let's not count on it. But let's not let's not base all of our agriculture on it. So Lushenko was not totally alone in rejecting Mendelian genetics at this point. Again, it's a different era. Uh, there was another guy, Lamarck, who had proposed totally different ideas about heritability and had basically concluded that the environment drove heredity. Like one of his big things was that giraffes' necks were longer because many generations of giraffes had been just stretching their necks sure. further and further right, right. feet to reach food. Yeah, this is not Passing how genetics on their work. Stretched, stretched yeah. out neck to their exactly. Long neck child. Yeah, it's like if you do a lot of yoga, your kid will grow up great at <laughs> yoga. This is not how genetics work. But at this point in time, hit, like whiskey was legally considered medicine, so it's it's you, nothing against Lamarck, eighteen hundreds or oh, whatever. This time. Yeah, exactly. Now, Lyshenko praised Lamarckian genetics, calling it perfectly correct and entirely scientific. But he couldn't really use Lamarck as his sort of guy in the past to call to because Lamarck had been a nobleman. Mm. I forget what country he came from, but he was like a, a, a member of the aristocracy, which meant that he didn't have good Bolshevik credentials either. So instead, Lyshenko declared himself the advocate of a Bolshevik scientist named Maturin. Now, Maturin had died in 1935, but for a while he was a very famous Soviet scientist. He had been a Lamarckian and claimed that intuition mattered more than education and science. Maturin had called educated scientists like Vavilov the caste priests of Jabberology. Wow. Yeah. So That's a great phrase. Yeah, it is. Jabberology. Yeah. yeah. The caste priests of Jabberology feels like a young adult fantasy novel that I would have read as yeah. a high schooler. Does it? Yeah. It's I, 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 Yeah. It feels like uh, an old book you would find in a video game or something. Mm -hmm. No? You don't think so? I mean, maybe. Like as a young person, it would have felt fancy. I don't know and why mystical. I'm questioning you. Yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're pushing hard on it. No, 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 no. I just I like the term jabberology. It makes sure. me makes me laugh. I like the term cast priest. No, no, that that does sound like a yeah. young adult fiction thing. Like the Hardy Boys <laughs> yeah. and the cast priests of jabber. Okay, I'm I'm on board now. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so this was the 1930s, and nobody in genetics was perfectly right at this point. For example, most Mendelian geneticists believed that genes were fixed and stable, which is not entirely the case either. But Lushenko considered the entire idea of heredity to be heresy. Uh, heredity in his eyes would mean that people were incapable of change. It was fascist to believe that plants and animals had inherited characteristics and that those characteristics could be enhanced through selective breeding. And in a little bit of fairness to Lyshenko, fascists were super into eugenics yes. at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So it is kind of like messed up because Lyshenko's saying that like, look at what the Nazis are saying about selective breeding of humanity. We don't want to do that, which right. is true. Obviously, with the Nazi attitudes on genetics led to some bad shit. 
But his attitude is to just reject all of science as a result. Is it that he truly was ideologically pure, or was he just like, well, as long as I focus on keeping Stalin and people around him uh, and me in their good graces, like, I'm going to follow that track? Like, he knew that he had kind of bullshit that, you know, the first year of the Winter Peas or whatever. And it's, it's really hard to say because he's very consistent throughout the entire course of his life. Like, he is consistently full of shit on this stuff. Yeah, um, but there is a lot. I guess there are a lot of scientists that have like an ideology about the end product that just are willing to fudge and deal with stuff yeah. in the early because they're like, I know it'll work out later because it, I believe this so so clearly. It's like you talk about that guy who did um, that study for the Lancet that gets cited by all of the anti-vaccine people. Right. Um, I'm sure he doesn't think he's a fraud. Right. I'm sure he has internal justifications for all of his questionable science that our people bring up as like, well, this is why this study isn't valid because yes. you made all of these errors. And he will say, well, no, 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 I did. The and when people you don't like yeah. keep attacking you, you kind of, you, people tend to double down. You dig in. Yeah, and yeah. The, and I, I think Lushenko is that kind of scientist where if you could give him a truth serum, he would probably be like, yeah, I did this and this and this, but I did it for this reason. Right. And I did it because the underlying point I'm making is true. And it would be hard not to look at the Nazis and what they're doing using Mendelian genetics yeah. as sort of a justification for a lot of it and not be like, well, see, look at them. How can how can that be right? Yeah. Like, the Nazis are doing it. Yeah. So it is this is a messed up time to be arguing yeah. for heredibility. Having to uh, pick between the Russians yeah. and the Nazis. Yeah. yeah. So Lushenko preached that there was no such thing as survival of the fittest among plants of the same species because plants would never compete with other plants of the same type. Instead, they would all cooperate for the common good, like people. Wow. Yeah. So actually, you were better off planting a shitload of seeds very, very close together in the ground. Just really like 20 times as dense with seeds as you would before. <laughs> Pour them all into the same area because they won't fight each other for resources. And in fact, if there's not enough resources in the soil, some of the saplings will, quote, sacrifice themselves for the benefit of the species. Wow, he's given a lot to plants. He gives he, a lot of credit to like, grain. These plants are amazing. Better than people. We yeah. found that a lot of the people yeah. don't like what we're doing. Corn, but... corn is way better than people. Yeah, yeah. What if we replace all of the farmers with more corn? <laughs> <laughs> we want to create the new Soviet corn man. Yeah, uh, we would love to grow corn into a, a just man. Come, just ejaculate on the seeds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we brought this monkey to have sex with this ear of corn. And, uh, yeah. Now we'll have monkey-corn hybrids <laughs> instead of people. And they will yeah. fight our wars in the future. <laughs> and in fact, actually, just as a digression, you will often hear people claim that Stalin tried to breed ape-Superman hybrids. Wow. And that's hearkening back to the Elia Avanov yeah. stuff. That never happened. He was never trying to breed super soldiers. Okay. But there was a scientist trying to make people breed with monkeys. So right. that's the the Stalin kernel would have loved it, perhaps though, if it had made it. I think Stalin probably had his eye on that research. <laughs> I think I think if that guy had successfully molested women with monkey sperm and oh. came up with monkey human hybrids, Stalin would have been like, "Well, oh, let's see how good they shoot." Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> but that never happened. So Lushenko believed that the death of individual saplings in the group occurs not because they are crowded, but for the express purpose of ensuring that in the future they will not be crowded. So again. A lot of credit to plants. Yeah, he, wow. He really credits them with a lot of intelligence and planning and free will. Um, and like a morality. Yeah. That and, is, yeah. And not just a morality, but a morality that's perfectly in line with Soviet <laughs> right. theory of the day. Okay, yeah. mean it. So natural selection was, according to Lushenko, Darwin's greatest mistake. Uh, he claimed that plants did not have hormones. He also claimed that he had turned wheat into rye, barley oats, corn flowers, and other plants that are not wheat. 
Uh, at one point, Lashenko even said that he'd successfully turned small white birds into large black birds via blood transfusions. Wow. Speaking so, of cast priests. He's yeah. just, he's gone off yeah. the rails at this point. <laughs> at first, he's like, I can make wheat do better yeah. by freezing it. <laughs> and then he's shooting other birds' blood. It's like an extemporaneous <laughs> rally where he's just like coming up with new stuff. And yeah, yeah. I think that is a lot of it where he just gets into a speech and just starts lying about what he's wow. done. And there's no checking up on anyone at it's this probably point. A, it's certainly a more entertaining speech. Yeah, it, it is. Vavilov's sitting there being like, and in 12 years, we can make grade 30% more durable by doing that. Yeah. And then Lashenko's like, I made birds bigger. <laughs> <laughs> what I if sh- birds could do your dishes? Come I on. turned sparrows into turkeys with blood. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Man. Who who are you going to listen to? Lashenko <laughs> sounds way more exciting. So Lashenko was not a big fan of academic integrity, nor was he a big fan of the scientific method. Uh, his personal philosophy on science was, quote, if you want a particular result, you obtain it. I need only people who will obtain what I require. Wow. So that sounds very scientific. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like Scientology. It's yeah, a, it's a little bit like you know that kind of Will Smith energy of just like you know my children are gonna like be the princes and princesses of space in a hundred years and like you know yeah. I can control time with my mind. If Will Smith had been in charge of all Soviet agriculture, it would have probably been a lot like Trofim Lyshenko. <laughs> actually, yeah. Okay, so uh, we're going to get into how Trofim Lyshenko contributed to the worst famine in Russian history. But first, we're going to get into some ads that I will go here right now and guarantee none of the companies that support this podcast will be responsible for the worst famine in Russian history. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC 
was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Now, I'm going to quote now from an Atlantic article on Trofim Lyshenko that gives a good idea of how he was viewed by the Western scientific community, because scientists in the Soviet Union are still talking to scientists in the rest of the world at this point. This is pre-Iron Curtain. So other people outside of Russia are hearing what Lyshenko is saying, and they are not buying it to the same extent that guys like Stalin are. Quote, a British biologist, for instance, lamented that Lyshenko was completely ignorant of the elementary principles of genetics and plant physiology. To talk to Lyshenko was like trying to explain differential calculus to a man who did not know his 12s timetable. Criticism with, from foreign, yeah, that's yeah, a harsh, wow. harsh science burn. <laughs> Between that and the Pravda article, Motherfucker, I feel like you can't are... multiply. <laughs> <laughs> like in the Pravda article, like people were brutal in print yeah. back then. Yeah, no, it was a lot more fun. Were people, were, were like Russian scientists publishing or was it like, well, if yeah. I, I got to go to a World's Fair and watch a lecture if I want to find out what he thinks about plants? No, no, they're, they're publishing and like Lushenko's, there are like scientific symposiums okay. and stuff. So guy, like at this point, scientists, in, to an extent always, like even when the, the USSR was at its most close, there were still Russian scientists communicating with the rest of the okay. world and vice versa because that's just what scientists do because scientists – understand that the only way to get better at science is for everyone doing it to talk about what they're right, trying right, to right. do. Like, So uh, criticism from foreigners did not sit well with Lushenko, who loathed Western bourgeois scientists and denounced them as tools of imperialist oppressors. He especially detested the American-born practice of studying fruit flies, the workhorse of modern genetics. He called such geneticists fly lovers and people haters. <laughs> so that's a big thing in Lushenko's life is he really fucking hates people studying flies. Um, he doesn't I don't like know if you saw things. the movie Rampage, but The Rock's character is always talked about as, well, you don't like people, but you love animals. It's like his main character oh, trait yeah. is that he just wants to hang with with the giant ape, uh, but also he's played by The Rock, mm-hmm. so he's very charming and makes constant jokes and is beautiful. So you're like, I don't really buy it when people say he's not a people person. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you hate everybody. Yeah, you're The Rock. Like you have the, so much charisma. It seems like you're the most charming man who's ever lived. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... 
Uh, Lushenko denounced Mendelian genetics as a capitalist and clerical conspiracy Ooh. because they didn't like the uh, the church either. Also because Mendel was a was a monk, so right. clearly his genetics are part of a Catholic uh, scheme to to stop communism. Right, and create yes. more Catholics. Yes. The Pope really plans deep. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a whole big cork board he's always... in the Vatican where he's <laughs> just connecting dots. It's like, it's a 10-year plan. No, I, I imagine the Pope's plan for world domination looks like that QAnon flowchart that just came out <laughs> yes, that's got like right, a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... The... <laughs> One of those crazy uh, image macros that's like circling people's moles yeah. and red arrows pointing yeah. to everything. Of like that. That's the Pope. Yeah, <laughs> Classic Pope. Uh, so Lushenko denounced Mendelian genetics in a 1935 speech, which he delivered in Stalin's presence. In the speech, he called Vavilov and his cohorts kulak wreckers and saboteurs and said that instead of helping collective farmers, they did their destructive business both in the scientific world and out of it. Stalin responded to this, Bravo, comrade Lushenko! Bravo! Because, of course, Stalin had kind of wrecked the kulaks and, and gotten all those people killed. So he needed a fall guy. So, yeah. like, what's happening now is they need a fall guy, and they're picking the geneticists that have already picked an ideologically inconsistent right. thing. Because, you know, Vavilov had been the lead geneticist in the Soviet Union up until the mid-30s. So he, he gets picked as sort of the fall guy for Mashenko's the Shenko's really just satisfying a lot of needs for— yeah. uh... Stalin's great at finding guys yeah. who fill his needs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that sounds a little more. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so after this point, the Soviet Union switches from actual genetics to Lushenkoist genetics in terms of its underpinnings of its agricultural system. More than a billion rubles are invested trying out Lushenkoist agricultural theories on the fields and farms of the famine-wracked Soviet Union. How well did all this work? You want to you take a guess? Mm, they did not get more plants that they needed. You don't think that freezing seeds and... Did it not planting solve the famine? thirty times as many seeds as you need? Just and like digging a hole and filling it with seeds just because they're pouring all pouring yeah, seeds in it. Because the seeds are like my seed brothers. Yeah. We are in this. We will together. all help each yeah, other. Yeah. Soviet yeah. seeds. Yes. Yes. No. Uh, I'm going to quote from a book called Hungry Ghosts, which is a, a book about famine. Not about Pac Man. Not about Pac Man. Although that would be the Pac Man <laughs> book title. Yeah. All these ideas help transform a rich farming nation into one beset by permanent food shortages. On the collectives, farmers could use neither chemical fertilizers nor the hybrid corn that America was using to boost yields by 30%. Lushenko didn't believe you should use fertilizers either at all. Oh, yeah, okay. Not, not chemical fertilizers. Yeah. Furthermore, their fields... The seed should just want it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And he had a... <laughs> We'll get on to his, yeah. So furthermore, the fields were left fallow most of the time, and when the crops were sown, the vernalized wheat did not sprout. No, <laughs> Nor did Lushenko's frost-resistant wheat and rye seeds, or the potatoes grown in summer, or the sugar beets planted in the hot plains of Central Asia. They all rotted. Mm -hmm. One year, Lushenko even managed to persuade the government to send an army of peasants into the fields with tweezers to remove the anthers from the spikes of each wheat plant because he believed that his hybrids must be pollinated by hand. Wow. Yeah, great. So, like, is he feeling hot under the collar at any point right now? I imagine each harvest must put him in a more precarious position, or he's just it's would, like, ah, well, bad winters happen. Let's just keep going forward. You would think so, wouldn't you? Yes. You would really think that that would matter. I don't know why I would think that, like, logic would somehow quickly win out in the midst of... Uh, Stupid, dangerous things yeah, happening because that's never proven. The like... stupid, dangerous things are in line with the ideology. So they cannot be the problem. And Stalin's not going hungry. Yes, well, of course <laughs> yeah. not. Stalin go hungry. <laughs> right, Why would right. Stalin go hungry? No. Uh, under banners proclaiming greater harvest with less dung, Soviet, which is <laughs> hell of a slogan. 
<laughs> that's that's often been the uh, the motivational slogan here at the offices. I, I have them put up banners that say that. Yeah, it's the original McDonald's mm-hmm. slogan: "Greater Harvest, Less Done." Soviet farmers also had to create artificial manure by mixing humus with organic mineral fertilizers in a rotating barrel. This method removed the phosphate and nitrogen, and when the muck was spread on the fields, it was useless. Ignoring Lyshenko's repeated failures, the Soviet press continued to trumpet his endless successes. Cows, which produced only cream. Cabbages turned into Swedes, which is rutabagas. Barley transformed into oats and lemon trees, which blossomed in Siberia. Were any of those true? No. Oh, okay. Of course not. Yeah. No, it's all lies. Because why are we not talking about these cream cows? Yeah. I know the whole point of the podcast is these are bad guys, but he's making cream cows. Come making on. Making just straight cream, which sounds oh. very painful for the oh, cow. Give me one of those butter cows. It's coming out solid. It's like a soft serve machine. It's just going right into a piece of barley bread. Imagine the saddest cow yeah. just like moaning oh, in pain as yeah. pure cream shoots oh out of its nipples. So thick. Yeah. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't want that as a farmer. You'd be like, something is fucked up with my cow. This <laughs> frosting is pouring out of yeah. him. I did learn from this that rutabagas are also called Swedes. Because I at first I thought he was saying he had literally turned cabbages into Swedish people. And yeah. I was like, whoa, <laughs> wow, I got to find this Pravda article. <laughs> so in 1937, four years after the Soviet state had increased its cultivation of farmland 163-fold. So when they start using Lyshenko's methods, they increase the amount of land they're farming by 163 times. So it's not even just that his methods were... Well, now our farms are collective and organized differently, but it's like, oh, no, we're, we're expanding. We've taken land because and we're he's, he's saying land. all these places that we can't farm, I can farm now because I've made these special seeds. So we can grow these things where they've never grown before. So they're farming 163 times as much land as they've ever farmed before. And four years into this, food production in the Soviet Union is lower than it had been when they started. So they increased the amount of land being farmed by 163 wow. fold, and they're growing less food. What's happening to their population at this point? <laughs> it's dying. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they are, millions of people are in dying. In my experience, food is one of the top ways I stay alive. Air's yeah. up there, but yeah. food and eating it almost every day, Huge. crucial. Very important. I would yeah. say more than two-thirds of people rely on food <laughs> in order to stay alive. Oh, it's to be the lucky important. third, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's the Breatharians. Right. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> right, right. Now, uh, Trofim Lyshenko was awarded six orders of Lenin, the Order of the Red Banner, and three Stalin Prizes. He was declared a hero of socialist labor and made vice president of the Central Committee of the Communist Party. As a Russian hero, statues were made of him. And in fairness to Lyshenko and to history, he had a face made for sculpture. Check out this motherfucker's jawline. Wow. Doesn't, it's an angry jawline. Like, we'll have the pictures on our website, BehindTheBastards.com, but his jaw looks like it could literally cut things. Yes, that is such a character actor face. That it is, is like, right? I've seen him in films. I feel like he was like a sub-captain yeah. or something in a movie I own on DVD. Like, he, I feel like he's been in every movie that was filmed in the 1940s. Yes. Like, he just has that look to his face. But, like... You can't not make statues of a guy that looks of course, like that. Of I can't. I can't blame the a statue sculptor's makers. dream. Exactly. He's just got that look. So now that uh, Lushenko is sort of the the chief scientist of the Soviet Union, he starts getting the ability to purge people. So in 1934, one guy Tolayakov had found out that Lushenko had stolen the work of another scientist and tried to blow the whistle on this. But at this point, Lushenko had enough cachet that he was able to get Tolayakov denounced in Pravda and then shot. Uh, I like that suddenly that uh, the problem is that he's stealing other people's science. It feels yeah. like that's best case that he's just taking science. From it other was people. like I you would really <laughs> academic honesty policies would not be what I'm focusing on. Is tens of millions of people die? <laughs> yeah, you would really think that the scientists would be like, well, no, actually, just let him have this no, the one. The big problem here is he didn't cite his sources yeah. in this paper. Yeah, that's a classic scientist thing. <laughs> yeah. to... Anyway, that guy gets killed. Um, <laughs> 
So Lyshenko convinces Stalin that Mendelian geneticists are fascist, uh, and he was also able to convince Stalin to execute or exile possibly thousands of respected Russian geneticists and other scientists for their fascist beliefs. One of the men that he has executed is Ilya Ivanov, the chimpanzee insemination advocate. Or at least Ivanov dies of disease, I think, in a gulag or something. But he's arrested and he's sent away along with a bunch of other scientists. So the purges aren't all bad, because Ivanov probably could have used to be purged. But... Thousands of other scientists who are actual scientists doing actual work are also getting purged. And he's making a lot of these arguments based on he's saying their science is ideologically. Exactly. It's not like, oh, they're they're bad people. It's, yeah. It's specifically... They are fascist Mendelian geneticists. Wow. They are supporters of fascist genetic science, and so they must be purged. So the battle between Lyshenko and actual science comes to a head in 1936 uh, when the Soviet Union's geneticists met up for a conference at the Lenin Academy. Uh, there was a big debate where Vavilov and the other legitimately great scientists of the Soviet Union pointed out everything wrong with Lyshenko's ideas, but Stalin backed Lyshenko. Murilov, the president of the Lenin Academy and Vavilov's ally, was executed, and Lyshenko was given his job. So, wow. yeah, that's... Vavilov, a, a, not only a good man and scientist, brave yeah. at this point to yeah. still be standing by Incredibly his brave scientific principles. I mean, he had gotten his start. When I say he was collecting seeds in the mountains of Iran, he was up in mountains that today, with like oxygen tanks and modern science, people die hiking those mountains. Wow. And he was doing it in like the 19-teens. Wow. Um, so he was like the original, like almost an Indiana Jones-style yeah, figure, yeah. traveling around the world collecting seeds and interviewing farmers in a lot of places. And he believes seeds belong in a museum. Yes, he did believe seeds belong (laughs) in a museum. So Lushenko is given uh, this guy Murilov's job. He becomes the president of the Lenin Academy, and now he's in charge of Vavilov. So, you know, Lushenko is the barefoot professor, a true peasant, and, you know, Vavilov is a world traveler and a son of the middle class. He was seen as susceptible to foreign influence. So Stalin really likes now that Lushenko's in charge and purging all of these untrustworthy scientists. So now that he's in charge, Lushenko escalates the purges of all the scientists who disagree with him. But he waited for a little bit on Vavilov. By August of 1940, it had become clear that Stalin's farming reforms and Lushenko's science had not increased crop yields. People were still starving. A scapegoat was needed, and of course, Vavilov was the perfect goat to scape. So on August 6, 1940, while he was out collecting seeds in Ukraine, Vavilov is arrested by the secret police and taken to Moscow. He was interrogated for 11 months and eventually sent to a gulag where he starved to death in 1943. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of geneticists were arrested and denounced as agents of international fascism, and most of them were starved to death. That was the common way to deal with these guys who had dedicated their lives to stopping famine, wow. was to starve Yeah, Lyshenko was very good at starving people to yeah. death. If there was anything that he proved uh, he adept was, over his oh, career. Oh, for, for sure. He's the LeBron James of starving <laughs> people to death. You're breaking my heart, Robert, that I knew it was going to happen, but Vavilov, you know, you introduced this guy that I just really this cool guy. quickly came to like and admire, <laughs> yeah. and here we are watching him starve in a gulag. Well, well, I do have kind of a heartbreaking, but also sort of inspiring story for you. Okay. So let's let's roll with that. So Vavilov, I mean, you, you read a couple of paragraphs about the guy, you start to really appreciate him. He had a dedicated following of scientists, hundreds of scientists who we, he had mentored and trained and who had worked under him and who idolized him as like the the pinnacle of what a scientist should be. And not all of these guys got purged. Now, a lot of them did, and many of the scientists who survived Lushenko's purges started faking their data and lying like Lushenko in order to come up with results that supported his theories. You know, evidence against his batshit claims was destroyed. Mendelian geneticists were forced to confess their errors and praise the scientific wisdom of the party. The resultant brain drain is generally estimated to have set the USSR's genetic scientists back by between 30 and 50 years. But the upside to the story is that the giant seed bank Vavilov had collected was not destroyed. 
a lot of the scientists who had worked for him stayed there maintaining the seed bank. And the seed bank was not inherently against sort of Lushenkoist genetics. Right. He, he had no problem with seeds, right. you know? So these guys basically stop talking about Mendelian genetics and like go low for a while and just try to maintain the seed bank. And well, so, isn't he a little worried that like the seeds would all communicate with one another and decide to <laughs> uprise against uprise. the Soviet yeah, yeah. Union? Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they, commu- they talk all the time, you know, they're, they've got one single goal. Um, so there's this giant seed bank in St. Petersburg. And, you know, during World War II, the Nazis invade and they lay siege to St. Petersburg, where the seed bank is held. The scientists who worked with Favilov barricaded themselves inside it. And this was to defend it from both the Nazis and from the people of St. Petersburg who were starving. Now, seeds are edible. You can survive off of seeds. So the seeds in the seed bank, a couple hundred thousand of them at this point, would not have been enough to save the people of St. Petersburg. But if they found out the seeds were there, they would have eaten them in a frenzy trying to For stay sure. alive. If you get one night or whatever, just having it, a bunch it, of chia seeds. Exactly. So these guys are defending the seed bank from their fellow citizens and from the Nazis. But while they're doing this, the scientists are starving too. Now, there's enough seeds in the seed bank that these guys, it, could, it might have saved them if the scientists had eaten the seeds. But they didn't eat a single seed. Wow. Instead, they, for months, hole up and defend the seed bank. I'm going to quote again from Gary Nabham. Over a series of months in 1942 and 1943, a dozen of the scientists starved to death while guarding those seeds. One of them said it was hard to wake up. It was hard to get on your feet and put on your clothes in the morning. But no, it was not hard to protect the seeds once you had your wits about you. Saving those seeds for future generations and helping the world recover after war was more important than a single person's comfort. Wow. So a dozen scientists starved to death guarding Vavilov's seed bank, but it survives the war. Wow. Wasting no seed is a very Catholic yeah. way of... <laughs> Maybe it is a yeah, clerical yeah. conspiracy. <laughs> the Pope's just like yeah, listening to yeah, this. Yeah, excellent. All excellent. The seed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, after World War II, Stalin continued to embrace Lushenko, culminating in a 1948 session of the Lenin Academy where Lushenko read the opening remarks, which had been written by Stalin himself. The speech glorified the Lamarckian genetic science that had gotten so many people killed already. Proponents of Mendelian genetics were dubbed enemies of the people. Lushenko claimed that there were two different types of biological science, bourgeois and socialist dialectical materialist. Bourgeois Mendelian genetics was removed from Soviet textbooks and the entire agricultural infrastructure of the USSR was retooled to prove crop yields were on the rise in spite of persistent famine. This led to the absurd situation of Russia exporting grain to the rest of the world while her people starved to death for lack of food. Wow. Because you can't admit that it's not working, so just export the grain and let people die. Wow. Yeah. It's not the only time that happens. So Lyshenko, hero of the Soviet Union, had his portrait hung in scientific facilities across the entire USSR. A brass band and a chorus accompanied him every time he gave a speech. Songs, very stupid songs, were written to honor him and sung by scientists over the land. I mean, almost all songs sung by scientists are not the top songs. Never the top songs. Yeah, yeah. Except for, actually, there's a rapper from Louisiana called Astronaut Talus that does a whole great album of, of songs about like 1800 scientists he's but is got he one a on... scientist no no i don't mind songs a, about scientists i think he's the... an alcoholic and a rapper oh okay. uh, but he's yeah. he does some good songs but <laughs> I, I want you to try and sing this song about lashenko okay you, you got you it. pick the tune you, you can see where the two bars there are um <laughs> yes here we go all, all right. right do your best <clears throat> do you need a beat uh yeah yeah i need a i need a little beat can we can we get a beat you can just Merrily play on accordion with my girlfriend. Let me sing of the eternal glory of academician Lyshenko. He walks the Michurin path with firm tread. He protects us from being duped by Mendelist Morganists. 
great song. Really great song. Yeah, yeah, thank I like you. It. I'm you into sang it. it beautifully. Uh, thank you. I I, yeah. I got mad that I mispronounced the names in the singing. I hadn't seen them written down yet, and they. Yeah, no, it's terms. it's it's a weird song to ask any a- academician. Is <laughs> academician. A we- you don't run across that Not word. Not a word that I heard before. <laughs> yeah. A little embarrassed by how I yeah. said it. Yeah. So Soviet science was remade in Lyshenko's image, and his new acolytes went even further than he had, denying the existence of chromosomes and embarking on ever stranger theories of plant biology. I'm going to read one more quote from Hungry Ghost about one of these men. Another hero of the Lyshenko school was the son of an American engineer, Vasily Williams, who became a professor at the Moscow Agricultural Academy. Williams thought that capitalism and American-style commercial farming based on the application of chemical fertilizers were taking the world to the brink of catastrophe. This was in the early 1930s when American farmers in Oklahoma saw their fields turn to dust. Williams believed that the answer was to rotate fields as medieval peasants had done, growing grain only every third year. The rest of the time, the fields would be left fallow, allowing nitrogen to accumulate in the roots of the clover and other grasses which would enrich the soil. He was opposed by other experts, among them Prashanikov, who stressed the importance of mineral fertilizers and shallow plowing, but Williams dubbed them records of socialist agriculture. So Williams' theory stated that in order to take maximum advantage of the nutrients in the soil, crops should be planted much deeper than they normally were, deeper than anyone had ever planted anything, which, spoiler alert, doesn't work. Also doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. It you should... need that water. You need that. But he's a Lushenkoist, so his right. his theory is now it becomes whoever can suggest the next crazy thing that is in line with what Lushenko is already saying, that thing gets done. Right. It doesn't and it, and it seems like they're almost like outrunning the mistakes exactly. of their past methods by introducing new ones that are even more ideologically Yeah, exactly. Stupid. So that's where we are as we enter the 1950s. The USSR had been starred for years. Five to seven million conservatively had died during this, and at least some of those deaths are on throw from Lushenko's heads, you know? Wow. Probably a couple of million people have starved to death at this point because of his uh, bad science. And we are not near the end of Trofim Lyshenko's body count yet. On part two, we're going to take a trip over to Chairman Mao's China and learn what happened with Lyshenkoism next. Oh, so, my gosh. That's a tale epic. for next Thursday. So why don't you plug your, yeah, your, your um, pluggables um, at the end my, uh, If you go on to Netflix, the comedy lineup part two is uh, streaming now. My episode is My Name, which is Max Silvestri. And also um, Big Mouth season two comes out on Netflix in October. I wrote on that, and it's very funny, and there's lots of dirty jokes. Excellent. Well, for more dirty jokes about literal dirt, because this is a farming-based farming episode, uh, come back to hear about how Trofim Lyshenko helped kill 30 million people. Oh, it's going to be a doozy. So, uh, uh, until then, I am Robert Evans. This is Behind the Bastards. You can find us on the internet at BehindTheBastards.com. You can find us on social media at, at BastardsPod, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at IWriteOkay. You can buy my book on Amazon, A Brief History of Vice. We have a t-shirt store on TeePublic, so buy our t-shirts. There's a DJ Stalin t-shirt, which you can wear and think about the millions who starved from Stalinist genetic theory, uh, and I, I hope that makes you happy. If, if it does, there's something wrong with you, though. Boom, boom, boom. Buy the shirt! This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. 
That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.